you're able, would you remain standing? And for one last time, let's turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, starting at verse 21. It's a word for about this last hymn we sang. It was, it was uh, written for a hymnal to be sung at funeral service of Christians. It's supposed to describe the experience of one who died in Christ, approaching uh, the Lamb of God without needing anything, just by faith alone. Ephesians 6, starting at verse 21. We're going to read through verse 24. This is the word of our Lord. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you speak to us. Even as we receive it today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When you get to the end of a book, it's, uh, for a pastor at least, is an emotional, uh, an emotional day uh, because it's unlikely that, especially in our tradition where pastors stay in the same place for a long time, it's unlikely that we, you're ever going to preach that book again, through that book again. Uh, it's, no, it's, it's, a lot of times there's one chance you have through the book in the life of your ministry in a local church. And uh, this is our 53rd sermon on the book of Ephesians. So over a space of two years, and uh, almost as a pastor, I feel um, even insecure what's next, you know, and you have to open a new book and start uh, fresh. And then, you know, three sermons into that new book, you forget the previous book, and that becomes your favorite uh, uh, book. But for the last... uh, 28 years, Ephesians has been one of my favorite uh, books of the Bible. It's one of the most challenging books of the Bible, perhaps the deepest of all of Paul's epistle, and one that uh, it's, it's, it's hard to know cause or, and effect here. Uh, I don't know if, it's be, if it is because of Ephesians that I value the church so much, or if I like Ephesians so much because I already valued the church, but that's really the theme of the book, the church of Jesus Christ. Those have been redeemed by the Spirit of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who have responded in faith to the truth that Christ lived a perfect life, a life that you nor I could have lived, a life that God required of all of us, that He lived that for us. And that he died a death that he didn't deserve, but you and I did, a death of separation from the Father because of the sins of his people. And that he came back to life on the third day and ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling over the universe through his church. And he's gathering his church from every corner of the world, from every tongue, from every tribe, from every ethnicity, from every people in the world. That's the truth of Ephesians. That is the truth 
of the church of Jesus Christ. In the epistle to the Ephesians, Paul explains that God set his love upon a bunch of nobodies, and to leave no doubt, those, that's us, we are the, the nobodies, and he did that before the foundation of the world. He tells us, Paul does, that God is transforming these nobodies into the very image of his son. That's what life is all about for us. God is working in us, and day by day, moment by moment, we're becoming more like Jesus Christ as we believe in him. Paul goes even further and says that this transformation affects every single relationship in our lives. It affects the way we speak, it affects the way we work, the way that we think. And this spirit-wrought transformation happens in the context of the body of Christ, where everyone is growing into the fullness of our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this is God's plan for us, that in the church, in the body of Christ, together with one another, we grow into the fullness of our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Husbands and wives, parents and children, workers and employees, Male and females, brothers and sisters are becoming day by day more like Jesus Christ. All because in eternity past, God set his love upon us. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, before anything existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit set their love upon you. Not because of anything that you are going to do not because of any goodness in you, not because of any worth in you, but solely because that was in accordance with our great God's perfect will and desire. And Paul connects in the book of Ephesians the otherwise insignificant lives of the Ephesians. Can you think of any Ephesian person who lived in the first century? If you're a scholar, maybe you can remember one or two people that came from Ephesus. But their lives were insignificant, as are our our lives. How many of us will be remembered 500 years from now? Unlikely that any of us will be remembered 500 years from now. Some of us will be forgotten 50 years from now. Two, three generations, and nobody knows us anymore more and yet the book of Ephesians tell us that God connected our otherwise insignificant lives to a cosmic plan of redemption and that is what chapter 1 is all about each of our lives now on its own really doesn't amount to much but connected to the history of redemption We are part of a glorious story of love. And each one of our lives tells a little bit about that great story. We have that overarching story of the plan of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And apart from that, we don't have much meaning in our lives. But when connected to that, we are God's words of love throughout the history. Putting together that story. I remember uh, oh, I don't, when I used to be a principal, Life Touch would come and take pictures from the kids every year. You know, if you're a parent and you had the kids in school, you have those little pictures of the cheesy pictures of the kids, mm-hmm. like this, or 
making faces and so on, and, and you know you do it. And then for a while, Life, Life Touch would give us a portrait that included all the kids. And the portrait from a distance was a picture of an eagle because we were the heritage eagles. But as you looked closer and closer and closer, the eagle was formed by the faces of all the students at Heritage. And that's the story of redemption. We have our God saving his church. And as we look closer, who do we see? We see you, we see me, forming that story of love that goes from the creation of the world to eternity, future, in the presence of our Lord. And that's really what the book of Ephesians is all about. And now we come to the end of this epistle. As I said, this is the 53rd sermon, about a year's worth of sermons on this book. And Paul ends his magnum opus, his great work on the identity of the church, just like he began. He ends it showing love and care for his church, for the church of Jesus Christ. And as we end this letter, we see here two things. We see Tychicus' endorsement as a faithful messenger, and then we see two benedictions in the end of the Bible. And the first thing, we, the end of this book, and the first thing we see is that believers, those that are followers of Jesus Christ, are interested in each other's lives. Look at verses 21 and 22. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your heart. Now, a person may read these verses and think that Paul is just being self-centered in pushing information about himself to the Ephesians. Who cares, Paul, that we have our own problems here? Why do you have to spend ink and time telling us how you are doing? But what Paul says here, he says, out of love and concern for the Ephesians. Paul knows that the Ephesians are worried about him. He is in jail. He is waiting for the trial before the imperial court. His life is in the balance. There was no guarantee that the court was going to find him not guilty. As a matter of fact, in Philippians, which he wrote just after or before he wrote Ephesians, he says this in Philippians 2, 17 and 18, Paul says, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Paul knew that there was a great likelihood that he was going to be found guilty of sedition against the Roman government and that he was going to be put to death. And as a Roman citizen, he would have been beheaded. Therefore, the idea of being poured out as a drink offering because of his ministry to the church. The, the Ephesians knew that. The, the Ephesians knew that that's where Paul was. The Ephesians had been praying for Paul, and they want to know how he is doing. So Paul really wants to comfort the Ephesians here at the end of this letter. So he sends Tychicus to them with a letter, but also a personal report. Uh, I grew up in Brazil, and because the illiteracy rates are so high, the spoken word has more value than the written word. I don't know if you've ever been in a context like that. Here, if it says, unless it's in writing, it doesn't mean anything. In Brazil, if you left a note to somebody 
saying something, but then you said, you ha- but you had said the opposite before you wrote the note. The note is invalid. What you said is really what people are going to follow. And there's a sense of that in the first century. And Paul sends the letter to the Ephesians. But alongside of the letter, he sends Tychicus, who was with him in Rome, to give them an oral report, a personal report, as to how Paul was doing. And notice how Paul makes sure that the Ephesians can trust Tychicus and his report. In verse 21, he says, he's a faithful servant. He is a a minister alongside with me, and he is a beloved brother. You can trust in what he is saying. So Paul is in jail, but he's more concerned with comforting the brethren who are worried about him. And that's why he says in verse 22 that he's sending this information to them so that they may be comforted in their hearts. Why did Paul do that? Well, because that's a Christ-like thing to do. Remember what was one of the seven sayings of Christ on the cross? As Christ is dying for the sins of His people, excruciating pain, about to be separated from His Father, who is known for it from eternity past and eternity future, Paul says seven th- uh, Christ says seven things. One of them is, Mother, he, uh, uh, woman, he is your son to John and Mary making provision, comforting Mary at the moment of his distress. So Paul's just doing what Christ did, but is thinking of others, even in the midst of suffering. Now let this be our first lesson from this passage. We have been redeemed and are being transformed by the Holy Spirit, and one of the results of this transformation is concern for one another. One of the evidences that the Spirit of God is working in us is that we are concerned for one another, that we care about one another. We want to know what is going on in each other's lives. Not to gossip about it, but to rejoice with them and weep with them. Christians show a genuine interest and concern for each other's lives because of our union with Christ that unites us to one another. We want to know how to pray for each other. We want to let each other know what is going on in our, in our lives. We welcome our brothers and sisters into our lives instead of keeping them out of what's going on with us. We truly live as a body. That's what Christ has called us to do in our redemption. That's how He works in us the transformation to become more like our Lord. And if the type of life you are living, has to be kept from the body of Christ, then there's something very wrong with what is going on in your life. Don't hide behind the claims of privacy to justify things that you shouldn't be doing that you want to hide from the body of Christ. Because we need each other. And we need to be in each other's lives. And if we are trying to hide things from each other, if we're afraid that people know what's going on in our lives... That's a good indication that we need to evaluate what's going on in our lives. And that concern goes beyond our local church. We want to know and be known by other Christians in our areas. We care for other congregations in our presbytery, in our synod. We care about Providence in Albuquerque as we care about Providence in Bonners Ferry, as we care about Providence in Greenville, Tennessee. 
We care about the Tacoma Church. And we care about Grace Bible Presbyterian Church in Cape Canaveral, Florida. We care about the Grand Island Bible Presbyterian Church in New, uh, Buffalo, New York. And we care about the Edmonton Bible Presbyterian Church all the way up next to the North Pole in Alberta, Canada. So we care for the church of Jesus Christ. We long for reports from our missionaries. We wanted to know how Doug Lee and the boys are doing. We wanted to know how Tini is doing. We wanted to know how the Kimas are doing. We wanted to know how uh, the Lou family is doing planning a church in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. We wanted to know how the Weber family is doing planning a church in Lachlan, uh, uh, Ohio. We wanted to know how the Yong family is doing planning a Korean church in Tacoma. We want to know how the missionaries of the cross, because we are part of the church of Jesus Christ, and we wanted to know what's going on. We want to be invested in each other. And the second lesson from this passage is almost the same as the first. By sending Tychicus to report what is going on with him, Paul is fostering life in community in the church of Jesus Christ. As we know what's going on with each other, we can be more involved with each other. Our hearts can be knit together. We were supposed to have sung hymn 355 last week, but in God's providence, He had other plans uh, for us. But in that hymn, the last verse, the last stanza says this, We are a temple, the Spirit's dwelling place, formed in great weakness, a cup to hold God's grace. We die alone, for on its own each ember loses fire. And if if you're a believer and have been apart from the church of Jesus Christ for any length of time, you know that your fire was lost during that time. Yet, joining one flame, joining one, the flame burns on to give warmth and light and to inspire. Years ago, Dr. Nick Wilborn, professor at, uh, at uh, Greenville Theological Presbyterian Seminary, came and preached here on the spirituality of the church. And he used an illustration during this sermon that uh, stuck with me to this day. And the illustration was that we are a bunch of little lights that on their own, not, not super bright, some of us let dimmer than others, uh, you know, how it goes. But if we're brought together and focused, we are a thousand of little light beams that can shine brightly throughout the world. And that is life in community. When Jesus Christ was talking to his disciples and telling them, this is how you're going to change the world... He didn't say, you're going to do that by making the church service super attractive so that those that are outside want to come in. He didn't say, you're going to have some sort of scheme to trick people into coming to the church. He didn't say, you're going to have the best marketing plan ever to sell the gospel to people. He said, you're going to change the world. The world is going to want to know what's going on here that's different than anywhere else by how? How will they know that we're disciples of Jesus Christ? By your love for one another. By your life in community. Brothers and sisters, do not close yourselves to one another. That's not where growth in Jesus Christ is. And in this encouragement, Paul includes this man, Tychicus, who he calls a beloved brother. Look at verse 21. 
but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make a thing, all things known to you. Tychicus is likely the guy that literally carried the letter to Ephesus and probably also the letter to Colossae that we call Colossians and the letter that became known as Philemon to us today. We don't know a lot about Tychicus, uh, just that he showed up in the Acts narrative in Acts chapter 20 verse 4 where uh, Paul was in Ephesus. So there's a great likelihood that he was from the area. Uh, the Lycus Valley, where Ephesus and Colossae, and in essence, all the seven letters of the book of Revelation were located. It's interesting that uh, his... So here we have Ephesians, probably the most sovereign letter of the New Testament as a whole. Now, Romans has some strong sovereignty passages there, like Romans 9, but Ephesians as a whole is all about the predestinating love of God, how God in eternity past predestined, chose a people to himself, and now he's working that throughout the ages. And yet Tychicus' name, the guy bearing the letter about predestination, means lucky. <laughs> God loved a good joke as well, right? So lucky delivers the letter about God's predestinating love to the church in Ephesus. And uh, uh, he must have been a very trustworthy person because he delivered several of Paul's letters to different churches throughout um, the, the years of Paul's writings. And although we don't know much about Tychicus's past, we do know how Paul assesses his life when he wrote this letter. Do you, did you hear, did you notice the three characteristics in verse 21 that Paul describes Tychicus with? He says, a beloved brother. You know, we don't, know, we don't need to know much about each other in order to love. Do you know why? Because our love is because of Christ. Even if we don't know anything about somebody else, when we know that they are a believer in Jesus Christ, there's a, there, that, there is that instantaneous connection. And all of a sudden, we love that person. Look around. It's unlikely that you choose these people that are here to be in your life, <laughs> if, you, if God didn't make you uh, uh, do that. Uh, often we find ourselves in church loving people that otherwise we would not have any connections with. And really that's what, all that we need to be beloved brethren, is that we are in Christ. And then Paul describes in us as faithful minister, faithful servant. That's what the word minister means, faithful Minister, faithful servants. And that's really how the Bible measures if you're a servant or not, is whether you're faithful. Not necessarily successful, but faithful. And then he's a fellow servant or a fellow slave, not of Rome, but of Christ, as we all are slaves of Jesus Christ. And these three characteristics are not extraordinary. These are not for the super Christian, only for those that worked with Paul. Beloved brethren, Faithful servant, fellow slave is how we all are described in Jesus Christ. And then Paul ends with peace, love, faith, and grace. Ultimately, that's what we leave for one another as well. Look at verses 23 and 24. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Paul usually ends the letters that he wrote with a benediction. But here he uses two benedictions. Verses 23, verse 23 is one benediction. Verse 24 is another benediction. 
in other letters, he includes benedictions throughout the letter. Like in Romans, you're going to find several different benedictions throughout the letter. But two at the end is peculiar to the book of Ephesians. And a benediction is just literally means good saying, which is a blessing. That's really what a benediction is. It's pronouncing a blessing upon those that are around you. Do you realize that the people of God have been saying grace and peace to one another for over 3,500 years? That the first time the people of God were directly instructed to bless each other with grace and peace happened over 3,500 years ago in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, which is known as either the Aaronic benediction or just the priestly blessing, where there God said, this is how you bless the people. He says, you say this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And for the last 3,500 years, that's how, that's what we leave with each other. Grace and peace. Is that what you're leaving with each other? Grace and peace. Peace is the total well-being that God bestows upon his people that allows them to relate to one another without fear. Are people relating to you without fear? Notice that it is peace to the brethren that Paul talks about in verse 23. The implication is that peace among the brethren is the goal of this blessing. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul uh, became aware of two sisters in the church that were fighting with one another, Yodia and Syntyche. And they are fellow workers in the gospel. They have been a big part of proclaiming the gospel throughout um, Achaia and uh, the, region, uh, the regions of Greece. And they're fighting now. And Paul urges them to stop fighting and even asks Clement, can you help them out so that they can stop fighting? And it is in response to that that Paul says that as you do that, the peace of God, who surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So, how are the relationships in your lives? Are, are people afraid of being around you? Or is peace the impact of your ministering to them? Not by bullying them into submission, no, that's peace faking, but by truly loving one another through gentleness. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Love comes from faith and that believes in the one who loved us first. In this context, this is not only love for God, but love for one another. And what kind of love? Is John's 3.16 kind of love. A love that indiscriminately loves the people of God by giving what is most precious to oneself. Remember how John 3.16 John 3.16 goes? For God so loved the world. That God loved the world in this manner. Who did He love? The world. All kinds of people. Indiscriminately, all kinds of people. And how is that love described? For God so loved, for God in this manner loved the world that He did what? He gave. That's the kind of love that with which we're to love one another. An indiscriminately love, indiscriminate love that gives what's most precious to ourselves. Is that what's marking our relationships in the church? Are willing to give what's most precious to ourselves in order to bless each other? 
We can do that. Remember what Romans 8.32 says? That God did not sp- if God did not spare His Son, which was the most precious things to Him, what is it that He's going to keep from us? Including enabling us to love each other by giving of ourselves. And then He continues in verse 24 and says, Grace be with you, uh, with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Grace is God's favorable disposition toward those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, are now righteous in His sight, and love the Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. 1 Corinthians ends with a curse. In 1 Corinthians 16.22, another letter written by the Apostle Paul, he says, If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him, let him be accursed, O Lord, come. Those who fail to love the Lord are cursed and are not part of God's community. But that's not the case here. We love the Lord Jesus and we love His church. We are those whom Christ has loved. And here we are at the end of this series on a most wonderful book. A series that didn't even come close to making justice to the beauty of this letter. As we leave this letter behind, perhaps to be visited or revisited by whomever comes after me, notice one final time what Paul has done for us in it. Paul sketches a new society of redeemed sinners bought out of the world and into God's family from every tribe, from every tongue and peoples and nations. People who look different, people who talk different, come from different backgrounds, but are united together in the Lord Jesus Christ and are going to be part of that great multitude that no man can number that stands before the throne, sing praises to the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Brothers and sisters, that's us. That's us. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of it. We thank you that you clearly reveal your love for your church from eternity past. We thank you for your implementation of that love in history and the choosing of people to yourself and giving us a redeemer in the Lord Jesus Christ and bringing him back to life and giving us the spirit that executes your plan of redemption in our lives. Enable us to be those that love you. We pray that peace and grace and love would mark our relationships and that together we'll be that powerful beam of light that signifies that Christ is Lord over our lives. And we pray all these things in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And we all say, Amen.